All right. Good evening, guys. All right. Good to see everybody. As you know, we are going to have a prophecy update tonight. And uh, I've watched several of our uh, larger Calvaries, uh, and uh, I decided not to do Jack's uh, update. I decided on Skip Heitzig's update. Skip is the Calvary pastor of Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico, Calvary. And I thought his was the most balanced. It was really good. Um, and uh, it's about an hour long, so we won't have worship tonight, but we will have a little time if you want to ask a, a couple questions afterwards, if we can answer those. Uh, but that's how we're going to do tonight, and just uh, a lot going on. And uh, wow, I mean, things are getting, they're heating up uh, with Iran now and things. I mean, we don't know what, it's. keep looking up, because I'm telling you, it's getting to be exciting uh What's, what's happening. And, and right now, let's pray, and we'll get right into it. Father, we thank you for, well, we thank you, Lord, that we know you, that you've brought us into your kingdom, opened our eyes to your truth, made us your sons and daughters, and we just thank you, Lord, that as the world is really, well, it's, it's coming to a conclusion. Uh, when I say that, man's uh, governing of himself is coming to an end. Uh, and the experiment has not been very good. But uh, we know that when you come, Lord Jesus, you're going to establish a government that will never end and be perfect. So we thank you, Lord. We ask that you would give grace that tonight we wouldn't watch this with fear or anxiety or, or depression, but that, Lord, we would be excited uh, that you would give us grace not to hold on too tight. We have love, We have families we love and uh, kids and grandkids, we like to see get bigger. Uh, but Lord, we just pray that you'd give us grace to embrace what's coming. It, it, and it's leading to your return. So bless tonight. Bless the uh, update. We just give it to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Hey, as we're getting started, uh, of course, welcome. Um, I can tell by uh, the crowd size that there's a lot of interest in the topic we're uh, going to be talking about because it is happening in real time right now uh, on the other side of this world, if not in other places, um, perhaps um, soon. Uh, we hope not, but we know what is happening uh, right now. But I do, as we begin, I want to welcome those who are joining us live stream on YouTube and uh, different platforms. We welcome you. We know there's a lot of people. We have 200,000 YouTube subscribers, and uh, no doubt many will be tuning in even as we speak. Also, I want to give a special shout out and welcome to a church that is live streaming this for their midweek service in Huntington Beach, California, Refuge Calvary, under Pastor Bill. We want to welcome you and glad that you're a part of this as well. I was in Germany uh, last Saturday, in Essen, Germany, uh, in the afternoon, evening in Germany, when with a group of pastors in a room, hundreds of pastors, and I got a text from my wife uh, that said, Israel is at war, rockets were fired. I looked and I thought, well, rockets get fired in Israel a lot, so I didn't know how um, alarmed to be, but then she plainly said, Israel is at war. And then she gave me a call and followed up and told me what was going on with the news. You know what happened. And what happened, happened on the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. It was on a very significant day, as these things are wont to happen on, it was on the last day of that festival of Sukkot, uh, Simchat Torah, where people are celebrating the law. It was the final reading of the law. The people were uh, supposed to be joyfully celebrating that. In 1973, the Yom Kippur War was launched by Arab neighbors who sought to take Israel completely off guard, and they did. Israel did not expect what happened 50 years ago, and as we discovered, Israel did not expect what happened the other day. On Saturday, 3,500 rockets were launched from Gaza 
into Israeli territories indiscriminately. Just let it fall where they may kill whoever it would kill. Uh, that has been um, the pattern in the past. Then, as you know, uh, armed terrorists went across the border at several different porous places, invaded towns, attacked kibbutzim, went from house to house, killing families, beheading babies, uh, killing elderly people, uh, Holocaust survivors, taking many of them hostages, burning them in their vehicles when they sought to escape. ISIS-like methodology, door-to-door, -door, women and children. 1,200 dead in Israel, including 22 Americans. They will say it is the bloodiest day in Israeli history in the modern state of Israel. That's significant. It's not a skirmish. It's an all-out declaration of war. It's the bloodiest day in Israel's history in modern-day Israel. It is equivalent in our country of 9-11 times 10. If you look at the population of that country versus the population of this country, it is like 10 or 11 9-11 happenings overnight. Now, why are we doing a special night devoted to this? Well, first of all, it's on all the news channels, and we're wondering what significance this has with those of us who believe in and trust in the revelation of Scripture. But also, because every now and then in life, you're given a moment where you have moral clarity like no other moment. When you are able to have a certain kind of perspicuity into a situation that you have not had up to that point. You are able to see pure evil, and such is that moment. The world has now seen the side of a terrorist organization, Hamas, like Hezbollah, like several others under different names, they're able to see the face of these organizations, the kind of things that Israel told us they did and believed in, but the world wasn't so sure. Now we're sure. Now we have the kind of clarity that we didn't have otherwise. Now, what I have planned for this evening, I'm going to wrap it up with some added information and some biblical insight, but I've asked a couple of people to join me. Um, and I conducted these interviews yesterday. The first is from a good friend of ours who lives in Jerusalem. He has immigrated there with his family. He's New York Times best-selling author, Joel Rosenberg, uh, will be joining us from Jerusalem. And uh, he also is the founder of the Joshua Fund and All Israel News and All Arab News. These are news outlets that give you up-to-date occurrences of what's happening in the Middle East. Uh, with his team on the ground. Also, he does on TBN every week what's called the Rosenberg Report. So we're going to roll this uh, interview with Joel, and then I'll be back to introduce our next guest. Well, Joel, thank you so much, first of all, for taking time and being with us. I know you've got a lot of demand uh, with what you do and where you are. Uh, Joel, you immigrated with your family to Israel, and you have seen rockets being shot into Israel over the last several years, but this is different, wouldn't you say? This is unlike anything I've ever seen before, Skip. I first came to Israel 35, 36 years ago to study at Tel Aviv University, and you're right, I've been coming back and forth ever since, starting the Joshua Fund, starting all Israel News, uh, and of course, yeah, becoming a dual U.S.-Israeli citizen nine years ago. And when we arrived in August of 2014, we arrived in the midst of a rocket war and about 4,000 rockets were fired in a month at Israel. And people thought we were crazy to come here, but God had called us. Almost as many rockets have been fired in the last four days as were fired in the entire month of August 2014. Okay, so that just gives you a sense of the scope. Look at that, this is the, and this is Israel's uh, Pearl Harbor. This is our 9-11, it's, it's the worst uh, set of civilian murders and casualties here in Israel in the entire history of the state of Israel. 
in this short period of time. In fact, this is the biggest murder of Jews since the Holocaust. Hmm. Okay, meaning meaning uh, in a in a four day period, we've never seen anything quite like this. Just one more point: nine hundred Israelis have been murdered so far, and now I'm talking about like Hamas. Look, most Americans don't know what Hamas is; they're a radical Islamist terrorist organization. But you have to think ISIS. Okay, Hamas doesn't mean anything to most Americans. ISIS does. And what what has happened in the last four days here? Hamas has chopped off the heads of babies. Okay, they've shot children in front of their mothers. They shot and murdered mothers in front of their children. They burned houses with Jews trapped in them to kill them. And like, it's just off the charts, demonic, satanic. And it's got everyone just in shock, grieving, of course, angry. But um, I think grief is the number one emotion that people are, are dealing with right now. And now we have to get ready to really go on offense. Your prime minister has declared formally a declaration of war. And so with that, what is the sense of the people there, uh, the, the population in general? Are any of them optimistic about this? Of course, grieving, scared. Are they resolved going forward? Oh, absolutely resolved. There's no question. We're going to win this war, but it's going to be messy. We're probably going to have to invade Gaza. Remember, this is an important point, Skip, to just bring up right up front. Israel does not occupy the Gaza Strip, right? We're accused of it, but it's not true. In 2005, our prime minister at that time decided to pull all Israeli soldiers and all Israeli civilians out of the Gaza Strip and just give the Gaza Strip to the Palestinians as a gift. You can have it. We don't want it anymore. Okay? So there's no... There's no actual reason for a terrorist to come across the border and tell us, oh, you, you know, we're, we're here to, you know, fight you because you're occupying our land. We're not. Here they are. They're contained. Uh, the Gaza area is contained. Uh, but they're getting, they're getting some kind of replenishment of the weapons that they use from somewhere. Talk about that. What country's behind this? Well, the main funder and supplier of arms and strategy and direction is Iran, the terrorist regime in, uh, in Iran. Um, so that's a problem. One of the ways they, the, 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 the Iranians get their supplies of weapons in is by disaggregating them and, you know, hiding them in shipments of, you know, humanitarian relief goods or whatever, or that they're dual use things. Like a lot of the missiles or rockets are actually built in metal shops in Gaza, okay? But they're, they're not that sophisticated, so you can just keep building, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of them um, based on just scrap metal or, you know, or, or metal that you're bringing in to reconstruct, you know, uh, damaged buildings and build new high-rises. So a lot of international aid gets siphoned off by Hamas and used to build terror tunnels weapons and so forth but yes and then whole weapons are smuggled in sometimes we we thought we were doing a good job at sealing it off but clearly um iran and hamas has uh blindsided us by being far better prepared than israeli intelligence realized and that's a colossal failure a staggering failure of israeli intelligence and there will be a political price to pay for those in power um, if they don't win this war so successfully that everybody focuses on, you know, on the victory rather than this horrific early set of defeats. Um, so uh, I think the, the the political future of Prime Minister Netanyahu is very much in doubt. He was unpopular before the war began, but his sort of saving grace was he was always considered Mr. Security. And now that has blown a hole in the side of his brand he was the one who made peace with four Arab Israeli countries, uh, four Arab countries, right? The Abraham Accords. He's Netanyahu's the one that has kept us out of major wars in the region and protected us. And he has done a good job, but something went wrong. Okay, now Hamas doesn't do anything on its own. It's all the direction comes from Iran, okay? So why does Iran want to pick a fight with us now? Because they want to blow up the the peace process, they, they are terrified. The Iranian regime is terrified of the idea of an Israeli-Saudi 
peace treaty because that would essentially be the end of the Arab-Israeli conflict as we've known it, right? And so what has been the Iranian strategy here? The Iranian leadership strategy is tell Hamas to go into Israel in this massive attack, then lure Israel into a ground war inside Gaza, which is going to be incredibly messy. It's urban warfare, street to street, house to house, apartment to apartment, booby trap, landmines. There are going to be high Israeli casualties, and there's going to be high Palestinian casualties. And what does Iran want at the leadership level? What does the supreme leader of Iran want? He doesn't, he, yes, of course he wants dead Jews, but what he really wants is dead Palestinians. Now you say, well, why would the supreme leader of Iran want dead Palestinians? Because he wants television images of collateral damage of, of, of women or children and young men who are killed by uh, Israel as Israel tries to hit Hamas terrorists who are hiding behind the human shields of the two million Palestinian civilians and behind our Israeli hostages that they have, right? So that's, that's this cowardly, demonic way. So as we try to go get them, no matter how hard we try, and we will try very, very hard not to kill civilians, but it will happen. And when it happens, this will make the Supreme Leader of Iran very, very happy because CNN, MSNBC, all the networks, New York Times, BBC, Al Jazeera, everybody else will start to make us as Israelis look like monsters. That, that we're not defending ourselves from monsters, but now we are the monsters. And that they, they, the Iran leadership hopes will cause the Arab Muslim world to back away from Israel rather than gravitate towards us. And that, I mean, obviously, ultimately, Iran wants us to be annihilated. It's the Iranian leaders that are on the record that keep saying we want to wipe Israel off the map. So of course, they want to kill us all. But to get there, they need to isolate us. And what they're terrified of is rather than the whole Muslim world being against us right now, more and more of the Muslim world is for Israel. And that's what they're trying to blow up right now. Joel, it's been said that Israel will use bombs to protect its people, or Hamas will use people to protect its bombs. Their strategy is different. So yeah. now that an incursion has happened into Gaza, there's rubble from the bombings, and there's going to be, it seems like, from what you just said, a house-to-house, door-to-door. Is the thought that it's just going to be a slight incursion, or is it going to be a total takeover of Gaza? There hasn't been an Israeli ground operation inside Gaza, I, I, I don't think, since 2014. I think it was called Operation Protective Edge. And then Israel just decided, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth any of our soldiers getting killed. Why don't we just keep building out the Iron Dome system? Because for at that point, it was, quote, just rockets coming at us. And if we can shoot 95% of them down, then that keeps us from having to go invade Gaza. But this has changed the calculus. But Hamas has just done in four days what nobody else could do in the last uh, year, which is unify Israel. Israel's 100% unified. And in fact, Netanyahu last night on television called for the leaders of the opposition parties to join him in an emergency unity government. Those negotiations are ongoing. I think that will probably happen. I think it should happen. And so then we'll be at war. But I think we're going into the biggest invasion of Gaza ever because I think that the unified position is enough. We can never let this happen again. And the only way is to go into Gaza so hard and so deep as to completely eradicate Hamas forever. That will be hard. That will be bloody. But there's a prophetic angle to this, Skip. It's possible that if this happens and Israel truly wins and completely eliminates Hamas, suddenly Gaza would be peaceful. And this would add to the sense of Israel's becoming more and more peaceful with more and more of its neighbors. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but it's possible that this could be setting up a moment where the Palestinians would realize they're defeated. Don't try to destroy Israel. Learn to live at peace next to Israel. And that could lead to the very conditions of Ezekiel 38, peace and prosperity in Israel, when then... Russia, Iran, and these other countries coming to attack in Gog and Magog. Too early, 
to draw any conclusions. There's a lot of messiness ahead of us. But I'm just saying, if you look down the road a bit, um, as bad as this is, it gives Israel 100% unity. Finish this terror movement off. No more. Joel, I know you would say you're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I'm going to ask you to prognosticate just a little bit. No, I'm, I'm running nonprofit, Skip. Oh, that's good. We have a tour slated for, and I'm going to get this question, so I'm asking you. We have a tour to Israel slated for May of 2024. You have one coming up as well. So i have speaking to people who have flown this week into Israel, thinking that they're going to be able to go on a tour in the next— Right, Gino Geraci was here. Right. <laughs> And and I was talking to Joel James, who has several hundred people coming in over the next couple months. What's your sense of this happening for people? Well, we haven't canceled the Joshua Fund tour for November. Obviously, I, 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 I'm not encouraging people to come right this moment. I wouldn't project all the way to December or to next May and, and, and think that we're going to still be in this crisis. Uh, wars in Israel, even when we say they're long, they're not as long as, you know, the United States going to war in Afghanistan for 20 years. Like, we don't do that here. So we'll know in the next month or so where we are. I would encourage people to keep, you know, keep planning, leaning forward. Joel, I know you got a lot of these lined up. Thank you for taking the time. I expect to see you in May. We always right. love you when you can come and speak to the group and give us a briefing. And that would be a timely briefing indeed. So... God willing, I'll see you in May. Uh, the interview I did with Joel, we did about 12, 11 minutes just now, but it was about a 35, 40-minute interview. That's going to be in totality living on our website for a while. So when you go to the Calvary website, right on the opening page, you'll see uh, a link where you can go watch the whole interview with Joel Rosenberg, as is the next interview, much lengthier and that will also be on the internet as well. So the next interview I did was with somebody who lived in Israel for a long period of time. He moved back to the States to take care of his ailing parents in Pennsylvania. Uh, his name is uh, Steve Ben Yeshai, also known as Steve the Tour Guide. Uh, a very intelligent guy, has a PhD, served in the Israeli Defense Forces in the Israeli Army uh, for a number of years. And so I asked him slightly different questions, uh, but this is Steve, the tour guide. So, Steve, thank you for joining us. My um, pleasure. Listen, there's now around 1,000 uh, who have died, and that includes, I think, 11 Americans. When you heard the news, you and I were texting, but when you first heard the news, what did you feel? Uh, well, like everybody else, I was horrified, but it was also combined with a feeling of gratitude as I was scheduled to depart for Israel myself 24 hours before the carnage began. Remember that you and I were witnesses of the Second Intifada, which claimed uh, 1,000 lives over three years. This claimed the exact same amount of people in only a few hours. Wow. So, of course, it's mind-boggling. If you, if, you, if you reduce it to these statistics— 25,000 dead if you scale it to the American population and the entire Second Intifada, which you and I knew at the time to be the darkest days of that country's history at the time, has now been eclipsed by the darkest day in Israel's history, all of which took place on uh, Saturday the 7th. Almost 50 years to the day of the Yom Kippur War. And also important because even though between the Yom Kippur War and Saturday's events, Israel's been in many military conflagrations that you and I consider wars, but in their own terminology, they were always termed as military operations. When Israel declared war on Hamas on Sunday, it now made it the first war in 50 years. In other words, to Israel, all those other things where kids play compared to this war. This is the first declared war that Israel's had since the 1973 Yom Kippur War, which many cite as a precedent for, for this shocker also. One of the bases that they overran on the Gaza border was a base associated with my own military unit that I was in, uh, the battalion known as the 51st Battalion of the Golani Brigade. And uh, I saw the whole thing filmed by the Hamas uh, invaders or and uh, so, and I saw the Golani flag and, you know, the, the, the battalion flag uh, amongst the corpses of the soldiers on the ground. 
uh, the soldier in me not only identified, of course, with that particular unit, but what shocked me was how quickly the base was overrun as if there wasn't even a fight. And that's what's shocking about all this. Uh, how rapid this invasion took place, uh, 1,000, it's believed that at least 1,500 terrorists infiltrated the country through 40 breaches of the border fence. Uh, in addition to uh, the paragliders that maybe some of you have seen on uh, footage, air, uh, sea, and land invasion, and Israel's even elite soldiers were killed easily. And I think that's what adds the humiliation to the shock. It's not only a shock, but it's a humiliation. Uh, and I would say that any... I, I would tell you that the the second intifada almost eviscerated what was left of Israel's left wing. And by the way, when I say left wing in the Israeli context, I'm referring to those that have always upheld the belief of land for peace. Uh, while that second intifada almost eviscerated that movement, this totally destroyed it. I, I would say there's almost nobody left in Israel. Uh, I'm not only referring to people that want to make peace with the Palestinians, but the country's almost united with one voice to flatten Gaza. Uh, in other words, the secular humanism of the left that often uh, humanized the enemy, such as Hamas, no longer. Uh, so, right, because of the humiliation. It, it's a national humiliation, a shock, and what it is is eventually will give way to anger because of the government. Remember, Golden Meir, uh, who was the... Prime Minister in 1973, after the war, her prime ministership ended in disgrace over this. There's no way the current prime minister, Netanyahu, survives this politically. Saturday, October 7th, was the darkest day in Israel's national history. That's not going by my words, but by nearly every single person who comments on it, on their media uh, in Hebrew, it's it's become uh, the consensus. It was the darkest day, the day of infamy. Wow. So, Dave, uh, yeah. Steve, tell us a little bit about Hamas, this group known as Hamas. We know the name. Most Americans have heard sure. it. I don't think they understand uh, what it is in particular, um, because there are so many groups in the Middle East that are poised yes. against Israel. Tell us about sure. Hamas. So the name Hamas is uh, an acronym in Arabic for the Islamic Resistance Movement. And according to their charter, they stand for three things I can just think of off the top of my head. Uh, jihad against the Jews in particular, jihad against the world in general, in other words, all infidels. First, the Saturday people means they'll first kill the Jews. Then the Sunday people means they'll uh, secondly kill the Christians. Uh, and to set up a global caliphate, the same belief that ISIS had, the same belief that al-Qaeda had. It's just a local Palestinian expression of it, but with the same inspiration, the same methodology uh, as became, you know, I'm not sure how aware you have become of the grisly details of this attack. But on one kibbutz that was overrun by these attackers, 40 babies were killed. Many of them were beheaded. Others were burned alive. So their tactics similar to what you know of the ISIS uh, era, you know, in, in Iraq and Syria. And uh, it's a jihadist organization associated with the global jihad, but it's the local Palestinian expression of that global jihad. So, Stephen, look, we these are obvious atrocities. There's no question. You see these images and videos coming in, and yet... If you listen to some of the other side, there's a narrative claiming it's Israel's fault. It's what I get on my social media when I put on posts about praying for Israel. Yeah. There's people who are waiting for this because they want to tout the other narrative. I want you to respond to those who claim this is really Israel's long-term policy consequence. Well, look, um, first of all, I want to say, Skip, that where people stand on the Arab-Israeli conflict betrays a lot more about them than where they stand on the Arab-Israeli conflict. It cuts down to their orientation on all sorts of things, whether they believe in God or whether they're atheists, whether they're leftists or whether they're rightists. What, there, there's many issues behind where people stand on the Arab-Israeli conflict. But, you know, the main uh, charges that Israel in the past 
you know, when they when they go to war with the Gaza Strip, you know, innocents are killed in the process, and therefore Israel's uh, cruel and and kills innocents. And I would say, look, Israel has uh, it's in Israel has inadvertently and unintentionally killed innocents in a built up the most densely populated uh, strip in the world is the Gaza Strip. The Hamas leadership hides behind its civilian population is a, is a great example that really meets the gold standard of it. Back in 2014, during Operation Cast Lead, the whole Hamas leadership made its headquarters under the main hospital of Gaza City, hmm. which presented Israel with the choice, and they were two awful choices, either preserve the, the lives of Hamas's leadership to fight that war and fight another day in the future, which is an awful choice. We are living with the consequences of that right now versus dropping a bomb on that hospital and killing all the people in it and being accused of, uh, of a war crime. What did they decide so, to do? Excuse me? What did they decide to do of those two options? Well, there's two choices. They let the Hamas leadership to fight another day, and that same leadership uh, just committed the worst atrocity in Israel's history. Being an American yourself and an Israeli who yes. has lived in both places— what would you leave us with uh, going forward in, in this situation as believers? What, as it relates to doing research on the media? No, as, as it relates to how we are to think and pray and, and responsibly stand for Israel going forward. Excellent. So I think on Saturday we saw a moral clarity that has rarely been presented to us. The face of pure evil on display versus the face of uh, its victims. And I think, Skip, in the next few weeks, a lot of people, including Christians, are going to be put to the test. As Israel entrenches itself in this war, you're going to see the amping up of, amp of amp anti-Semitism uh, is going to amp up dramatically, dramatically. You're going to see these mass uh, pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian rallies throughout every American city. It's possible that your co-workers, you know, those that work in secular endeavors, you know, their co-workers are going to confront them and say, aren't you one of these pro-Israel nutjob Christians? Look at these people. Look at these Jews. A lot of Christians are going to have to be, they're going to be tested. Mm -hmm. And how successful they are on that test has to do with their convictions. And where their convictions are has to do with how much time they spend with the Lord each day. So one of the things, and this may surprise you, this answer, because uh, you were asking me about politics, but now I'll just give my one spiritual insight. We're so bombarded, and, and unfortunately so many of us spend so much time in front of cable news more than we do in the presence of the Lord. And we've entered a very dark time where if we're going to survive these days, Skip, if we're going to pass the test as individuals, we have to spend that time in the presence of the Lord and let that other stuff be chatter. You know, and if there's anybody listening to this who, who can do what you call in Hebrew, hashbon nefesh, you know, an accounting of where's my soul? Where's the state of my soul today? Am I allowing my soul to be filled more by cable news and by headlines, you know, and by all the emotions that that stirs more than I'm spending quality time with the Lord each day, whether that's in the morning or whatever time that person does that. The well of our strength is in that time, not the time that we spend in front of the TV or news sites. And I just want, and this, and, and by the way, I'm preaching to myself. The last couple of weeks, I've been doing everything I can, even before this broke out, this war, to, to really dig deep into my daily fount of strength. Hmm. Uh, because it doesn't come from the media. It doesn't come from the chatter. It comes from the spirit that's within, you know, for those of us that are believers. And that's what I would say to encourage all of us. And that's not exclusive to the Israel issue or anything going on. We've entered a very dark time. We're already in that time. Yeah. The only way any of us can survive it and stay clean and keep our garments clean and be able to love the other, you know, even people who we disagree with, is to go to that fount where we get our, our the living waters, you know, uh, that Jesus spoke about in the book of John, the living waters that keep giving if you agree to go to them each day and drink from them. Yeah, that's a good word. You sound like a preacher, Steve. Steve, the preacher, Steve, the tour guide, now Steve, the preacher. So let, let me help frame this a little bit. Um, 
contemporarily as well as biblically in the time we have remaining. I know the Middle East seems like a very complex situation. It's actually pretty basic. One side wants the other side dead. On one side you have a Jewish nation, a Jewish state called modern-day Israel. Israel wishes to exist as a sovereign state living in peace, but they also recognize that the Palestinians want their own state and they want, it would seem like, a level of peace. That's their presumption. Effectively, what Gaza has been in the past is a Palestinian state. Contrary to what you may have heard, Gaza is not occupied by the Israelis. In 2005, under Ariel Sharon, they completely left Gaza, completely gave it over to the authority of the Palestinians, who then elected Hamas to be the ruling governing body in that district. Most Palestinians and other Arab nations, not all, but many of them, deny the right of Israel to exist. They don't believe Israel is legitimate. They don't think it has a right to even exist in that part of the world. And that has been true since all the way back to 1948. In 1948, of course, you know the United Nations declared Israel is a sovereign nation. They sought to partition the land into a Jewish state and into an Arab state. The Jews accepted the partition of the United Nations. No Arab nation did accept it. In fact, not only did they not accept the partition, but on the day after Israel became a nation, that was May 14, 1948, on May 15th, Virtually every Arab neighbor attacked Israel to destroy it. Israel had been a nation one day. They didn't have an organized army. But you had all of the surrounding nations laying siege to destroy Israel. Miraculously, Israel survived that incursion. That happened again in 1967 when Egypt's president, uh, Nasser, um, in his own words, allowed his army to attack Israel, in his words, to destroy Israel. On that day, Egypt attacked, Syria attacked, Lebanon attacked, Iraq attacked, and the Jordanians, the Transjordanians also attacked. Israel survived that 1967 incursion. Shortly after that, just a couple of months, was the first time since that war that there was an Arab summit in Sudan, in Khartoum, where the Arab states who were represented at that meeting gave the famous three no's going forward. There will be no recognition, there will be no peace, there will be no negotiations. Let me explain that. There will be no recognition. We will never recognize the right of Israel to exist as a sovereign nation. That's number one, no. Two, no peace. We'll never form a peace agreement or treaty with Israel, secular Israel as a nation. And finally, no negotiation. So no recognition, no peace, no negotiations. So what does that mean? It means no peace treaty can be signed, no agreement can be made. They will never recognize Israel. I want you to get this. There's a charter, for those who care to read it, called the Hamas Charter. And the charter calls for the destruction, the destruction of the nation of Israel. In Article 13 of the Hamas Charter, it says, and I'll put this up, there is no solution for the Palestinian question except through jihad. Initiatives, proposals, 
and international conferences are all a waste of time and vain endeavors. End quote. You see what they're saying. Don't bother coming to us to sign an agreement. We'll never agree to anything. We want Israel completely annihilated. In fact, just the other day, this resurfaced. This is from Mahmoud al-Zahar, who is a commander for Hamas. He warned, and we should take this warning to heart, that Israel is only the first target. They said, he said, and I quote, the entire planet will be under our law. That's their goal. There will be no more Jews or Christian traders. The entire 510 million square kilometers of planet Earth will come under a system where there is no injustice, no oppression, no Zionism, and no treacherous Christianity. This is what they believe. The unofficial motto of Hamas, the terrorist organization, is this. We love death as much as the Jews love life. How do you negotiate with that? We love death as much as the Jews love life. So this is why the Palestinians historically have never really settled on any peace agreement. They've never come to a settlement. Though there was an agreement under Bill Clinton, there was a, an, a, a few different agreements historically, the Oslo Accords, it didn't last very long because of this ideology. Instead, Palestinians, Arab nations, especially Iran, who fund some of these terror groups, how did they respond? By sending wave after wave of suicide bombers into the nation. It got so bad that Israel built a security wall for its own protection, which cut out about 90% of that terrorism. And of course, they were chastised. Israel was chastised for defending itself. They also responded by writing curriculum for elementary school students. In the curriculum, it's degrading of the Jewish people. In the curriculum, they're training a whole next generation of terrorists. In elementary schools, they will show children how to behead teddy bears to get them prepped for what we have seen going on this week. This week, Gaza attacked Israel with thousands of rockets. You know how many rockets have been fired indiscriminately, just fired over the border from Gaza into Israel since 2001? That's when they started. Over 20,000 rockets have been fired from Gaza into Israel. Then in 2021, they come up with this brilliant little device called an incendiary balloon. They took balloons and filled them with ignition fuel, tied them to a kite and flew them over into Israel, hoping that it will light the farms on fire, the forests on fire, some of the cities on fire. Then, as you have seen, paragliders with machine guns coming from Gaza into Israel. Then drones with bombs on them being unleashed. And so now, Israel finally said, enough, and they formed this formal declaration of war. That's according to their constitution, Article 40A. They invoked that, and there is now this next-level declaration of war. This is not what Israel wanted. They did not begin the attack. They gave Gaza completely to the Palestinians. Ariel Sharon brought any Israeli settlements back, giving it to them since 2005. But look at the words of the fourth prime minister of Israel, Golda Meir. She said this, We can forgive the Arabs for killing our children. We cannot forgive them for forcing us to kill their children. We will only have peace with the Arabs when they love their children more than they hate us. Quite a quote. We'll only have peace with the Arabs when they love their children 
more than they hate us. But for those of us who are Bible students, we realize it always comes back to Israel. It always comes back to Jerusalem, right? And we have noted that. We have just concluded a series on the end is near where we talked about some of these things. Here you have this nation that is smaller than the Central American country of El Salvador. You have a country that is roughly the size of the state of New Jersey. And yet it all comes back to Jerusalem, all comes back to Israel. So many of the headlines, it cycles through. In Zechariah chapter 12, the prophet said, it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples, and all who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. Though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. So the Bible predicts, as it has been in the past, the Bible predicts so in the future, that the focal point of history will center on the Jewish people, the state of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. We discovered in our series on the end times that God's prophetic timetable, God tells time by the Jewish people. Seventy weeks are determined for your holy city and for your people, the prophet Daniel declared. Now, something we touched on in that series, I want to sort of bring it back to because Joel alluded to it. Steve did not, but Joel did. In Ezekiel chapter 38, there is, and 39, there is the prediction of a future war that involves Israel and it involves nations around the world. But in particular, an alliance that takes place between Russia Iran, Turkey, and the Islamic states of the Upper Nile, all against the nation of Israel. We call it the Gog and Magog War. You're familiar now with it. We studied it for a couple weeks in depth. This, what you're seeing this week, this is not that war. But it is pointing to that war. It looks like it's leading up to that war. Again, as Joel said, it's too early to tell. But it's going in that direction, though there are some stark differences. Here's the, the main difference. In the Ezekiel War, there are actual nations of the world that fight Israel. That's not happening right now. Israel is fighting a terrorist organization called Hamas. They're not engaged formally in a war against any nation yet. This could, however, lead up to the Ayatollah's doorstep in Tehran, in Iran. It has that possibility. So in that Ezekiel war, even though we have, is, right now you have America with its warships uh, out in the Mediterranean as, as backup for this war, in the Ezekiel war, no nation, no nation will help Israel. God himself will defend Israel alone, and he's quite capable of doing it on his own, as the world will see. But during the Ezekiel War, no nation will come to Israel's defense, not even this nation. All the nations will turn against them. This could be preemptively what is leading up to that war. In other words, this has the potential of producing that. Here's what you should know. Some of you already do by just the interviews and following the news. Hamas is funded by Iran, directed by Iran. In Tehran, among the Ayatollahs and the upper echelon, Israel is called the little Satan. America is called the great Satan. I've always been mystified by this, but... The last couple days has me scratching my head even more. A former president, President Obama, gave $1.2 billion in cash and flew it to Iran. And he promised them $100 billion. The next president, President Trump, 
canceled the deal. But then this current president reinstated the deal and promised $6 billion, listen, to the world's largest sponsor of terrorism ever. Iran is the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism on the globe. Why would anybody give money to that? You could say it's for humanitarian purposes. They actually have lots of money in their reserves. But something else you need to know. Though Hamas is armed and funded by Iran, do you know that Hamas terrorists were trained by the Russians? Now, think back to Ezekiel 38. You have this strange alliance that has never happened before. Never happened historically. The prophet predicted it. Never in history can we find it until now. Hamas is funded by Iran, but the terrorists were trained by a Russian group called the Wagner Group. You may have heard about them in the news recently. They came in after an incursion in Africa. They came to Gaza to train them militarily. And just yesterday, Russia said, if the United States supports Israel in this war, then Russia will support the Palestinians in this war. And just today, the president of Turkey, President Erdogan, rebuked Israel, saying that Israel is ruthlessly targeting Palestinians and violating human rights. So I wanted just to show you some of the, the, the back thinking and talking going on in this war right now. We have this alliance and we already know that there has been a deal. I told you about this in our series on the end times. There has been a, a, a deal between Turkey and Russia for an anti-ballistic missile system. That's in place. Now again, when Ezekiel wrote about these nations, that had never happened. That alliance never happened. You are seeing it beginning to form now. So, a lot more could be said. I don't want to say more. I want to pray more. And we'll do that in a minute. So let me leave you with some things to do. What do we do now? Here we are. We're Bible-believing Christians. Some of us are looking for a tour to Israel in May. And as far as things are going right now, I plan on still going. Uh, Lord willing, of course, things could change. But I'm still planning to go. But what do we do until then? What should we do now with all this going on? Number one, stay prayerful. Right? That's a given, right? We, we, we would, you'd expect to hear that. Stay prayerful. Do you know we are told, we are commanded by Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love thee. So we, we should be praying for stability in the Middle East, the peace of Jerusalem in particular. So stay prayerful. Number two, stay aware. Stay aware. Our security team here at the church has the motto, head on a swivel. You know, you're always kind of looking around. You, you want to live in the yellow. You, you want to just be aware that, that not everybody in the world is good and bad things can happen, even to good people. So be aware. Stay aware. We're living in difficult days. And what is troublesome is not only do we have instability in the Middle East, but we have an, we have an unsecured southern border in this country right now. We have tens of thousands of military-age males from Middle Eastern countries included in the incursion at the southern border. We don't know who they are. Many of them, 150 of them, are, have been on the FBI's terrorist watch list that have come across the border. There's tens of thousands of people who have infiltrated this country, and we don't know who they are and many times we don't know where they are. So stay informed, stay aware. So stay prayerful, stay aware. And the third is stay informed. How do you stay informed? Well, you could just watch CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or any one particular news source. But I, I'm going to say whatever you get your news from, wherever you do, add to that all Israel news. Get it from Jerusalem exclusively. 
allisrael.com will take you to All Israel News. They'll give you a daily feed of what's going on there. You can click on links to get more information. They will give you the sourcing of that information so you can go as deep as you want. That's allisrael.com. Also, Joel is featured every week on TBM uh, on the Rosenberg Report, and that is rosenbergreport.tv. I would recommend that to you if you want the TV version of the news, rosenbergreport.tv. And above all, when I say be informed, read your Bible regularly. Uh, get to know what God says about these issues, about the last days, about the strength that you can uh, live your life with every day in the midst of these last days. So stay prayerful, stay aware, stay informed, stay strong. Stay strong. Steve said you're going to be tested in the days ahead. Hamas, Iran want images of Israel inflicting damage so they can show the world that and so that they'll win the media war. That's what they want to win. They want to win the hearts and minds of people around the world. And number five, stay encouraged. In Psalm 121, verse 4, listen to this promise. He who keeps Israel neither will slumber nor sleep. He, God, who keeps Israel, and he has done it time and time again, neither slumbers nor sleeps. You know, if you study Jewish history, if you study Israeli history, and you still don't believe in miracles, you're not a realist. Think of what Israel has survived. 400 years of slavery in Egypt, two total destructions, multiple deportations, 2,000 years of dispersion, and a holocaust. Add to that 1948, add to that 1967, add to that 1973. This is a horrible time. God's going to get them through. God's going to get them through. He who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. So stay encouraged. And the ultimate encouragement is what Jesus told us. When you see these things begin to take place, lift up your eyes because your redemption draws near. Now, I can tell by the applause that most of y'all here are saved. Right? You're saved. You know it. You're glad you know it. But listen, listen, you're saved for a reason, a purpose. And my challenge to you, all of us is raise the bar now on your spiritual life. Whatever bar you're at, you keep your quiet time, you love the Lord, you're in fellowship. Now raise the bar, raise the bar in personal service, personal fellowship, witnessing. Just raise the bar just a little bit because God isn't finished with you yet. And these are dark days, so let's step up to the plate. And I'll encourage you, because you're all here on Wednesday night, devote yourself to a systematic study of the Word of God. And on Wednesday nights, we go through the Bible, the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, verse by verse. We happen to be in 2 Kings currently, except for tonight. But I'm going to encourage you, if you're watching by multiple platforms or our wonderful church friend in Huntington Beach, California, up your personal spiritual bar of commitment, of love for God's people, of love for the Lord. Well, we're going to throw some prayer requests up on the screen, and then we're going to close in a song. And so you can go through these individually. I would encourage you to take Lights back on too, guys. All right, a lot of information. Um, any uh, questions maybe that uh, anyone would have? Yes. Uh, anything at all? Yep. Yes, we are. All right. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are living in these days. Lord, a lot of Christians over the centuries have longed to see what we see. 
Give us grace, Lord, to, by your strength, rise to the occasion, not bury our heads in the sand, not hope it all goes away so we can get back to our routines and our lives and uh, and whatever. But give us grace, Lord, by your strength to uh, rise to the occasion that you would, Lord, pour your spirit upon us in a fresh and powerful new way, that we would fall deeply in love with you, that we would have a hunger for your word like we've never known before, that you would put a spirit of a spirit of prayer and intercession upon us that would drive us to our knees constantly, that, Lord, we would be a soul-winning church, give us a, a burden for the lost like never before. But give us grace, Lord, to keep our eyes on you. Your kingdom is coming. It's near. It's at the door. And we need to not be sleeping in the light. We need to be um, running our race strong at this point. So we thank you, Lord, and we just pray that you would take this little church of ours and use it beyond anything we can even hope or imagine for your glory and we just thank you lord and we ask all this now in jesus precious name amen